Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host... Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm Tom Bourne, your host, and with me today is the wonderful Amy Rusa. Amy, how are you? Good. How are you this morning? Excellent. What time is it over there in Iowa? It is 5.52 a.m. Oh, my God. Sorry to get you out of bed so early. <laughs> it's it's uh, 6.52 p.m. over here in Perth, um, but I'm very fortunate to have you on the show. Amy, I was wondering if you could, uh, well, you're our first guest from the United States, so um, thanks for coming on. But also, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're up to now, and your journey in safety so far. Uh, Well, I've been in safety now for 18 years, Uh, started in retail, and um, went into transportation for a while, and then I went into Briefly consulting, um, which was really fun because I got to see different industries. So I was consulting on both general industry and the construction side of things. Uh, Around COVID time, you know how everything kind of upheavaled. Um, I moved around a few times. And as of Monday, I start in risk management for an insurance company. So I'm really looking forward to that. So it's it's been a wild journey for me in terms of Uh, changing within the profession, the different industries, and being able to learn just a vast majority of things I never thought I would learn before. Excellent, excellent. Hey, Amy, you came to my attention uh, via lovely LinkedIn, where I see you uh, present quite often. Um, You're currently the founder and run a, a lovely little social media network called the Safety Rack. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I formed the Safety Rack um, out of a need to start a discussion around women's safety. So four years ago, just to give you a little back history, I founded uh, the Iowa Women in Safety Conference. So when I was consulting uh, the first time around, 
I started meeting all these amazing women around Iowa, thought, hey, we need to get together and actually have a conversation. So we formed the conference as a one-day event every year to just get together, talk about issues that maybe we need to talk about specifically and how to resolve them as women in industry. And during the last four years, that conversation of, well, what's out there for us keeps coming up. And it just so happened that I kept looking it up and I was able to keep telling everybody within the group, hey, this is what I found. This is what's coming out. And finally, I got pressed to, you need a bigger platform because more women need to actually have access to this information. It's not easy for us here in the States, and I imagine also over in Australia, to be able to locate the necessities of PPE that we need right away to be safe on a job site. And so the goal of the safety rack is one, I give a visual review of the products out there for women. So I wear the product, I actually test it out, and then I give an honest opinion on how I feel the product worked on me and where I see it relevant in the industry for people. The other part to that is we have the trades here in the United States growing. I think they're growing worldwide where more women are going into the trades because that gender pay gap isn't as harsh as in other fields of profession. And so I want to be able to close the gender PPA gap for women entering the trades so that they don't have the risk of being injured or the psychosocial hazards of being on the job site because they don't have the proper PPE. I want women to get on the job sites and feel confident and comfortable at being able to do their job. And that's kind of my goal overall. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not something, I'll be honest, that uh, a lot of men think about because we basically have everything catered for us. We basically just throw on whatever and it seems to fit roughly. We've got those wonderful pockets everywhere where you can store everything in a day. But I believe that's certainly not the case for the ladies. No, you guys definitely get more pockets. I think if uh, any any man wants to get into a deep argument with somebody or a woman, just start talking about pockets. Um, they are not, we're just, our clothing's not designed the same. And it's just so frustrating. Um, I was just talking to a group of manufacturers about this and it's like, the pants I was wearing while I was talking had pockets, but they didn't have pockets. The pockets were just there as decoration. I couldn't actually open them and access them. But being like a woman on a job site, imagine the guy next to you has 10 pockets and has all of his tools right there. And you don't get the same amount of pockets, but you have the same amount of tools. Yeah. yeah. How do you get your job done? Well, you don't. So, or, you, or you walk a long way, don't you? Yeah, so it's it's finding the brands like um, Port West, by the way, makes a 10 pocket pants for women uh, that do cater to that and being able to get it out there. And it's amazing when I share that information on the platforms that I'm on and the, the private forums I'm on, how incredibly excited women get about, I didn't know there was a manufacturer that had 10 pockets for me. Yeah. You know? Is, is the... The difference in sizing universally different um, across all bits of PPE, such as in gloves, as in pants, as in shirts, everything is different? I think what you have is um, this unfortunate viewpoint from maybe manufacturers out there that women are just small men. We're not. So our bodies are greatly different from yours, right? So as a woman, I have more narrow shoulders, but I'm going to have wider hips. I might yes. have... A bigger chest, 
those are things that need to be factored in to the PPE. When it comes to gloves, my hand size palm wise is gonna be smaller. And so is my finger length versus a man's size. Um, and I have a really good picture of that somewhere on my LinkedIn page of uh, a guy that had um, a size 6X glove. He was like a bear of a man and my hands up next to his and you can just see the striking difference. Uh, so yeah, it's when they come out and they're like, well, we have unisex or we can do men's small sizes. That should be fine. It's not because it's going to hang on me. And what's going to happen is I'm going to pull on it all day long and I'm not going to be confident because I'm going to be psychologically thinking about how my clothing's fitting or worried that it's going to snag on something I'm going to get injured. So we really have to make sure that there's an awareness there within companies and among everybody, because allyship is also a good part to this, that, you know, if there's one female on a job site that maybe a, a guy steps up and goes, hey, does she actually have the proper fitting PPE? Because unisex or a size small is not going to cut it in men's for her. So we want to be prepared for this workforce to actually come out uh, with women. We have to be prepared on the forefront before they even step into the job. And that's knowing who the vendors are, knowing where the resources are, so that on day one, she's already got the correct shoe, she's already got the pants, she's already got the high vis, and she's ready to rock and roll for you. Yeah, no, that's excellent. All right, you mentioned the Iowa Women in Safety Conference. Uh, I believe it's coming up October 20th this year. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. How many years has that been running for now? It, you know, it's four years now. We, I thought we would struggle going through COVID, but the support within the Iowa community is just fantastic. Um, I wanted to start something that would be a standalone conference from any organization. And I did that with the mindset of not everybody can pay membership dues. And so I really just wanted to be able to grab the woman in the mom and pop shop that was doing double duty as HR and safety and be able to help her with the resources. So first year we did it, I think I was expecting like 30 people to show up and we had over 60. We're now around 110 members strong on our Facebook group. And I think we're going to be having a record breaking year this year. So we have a full day of safety tracks. So we listen to what our members want in terms of topics. And then we fill that in with like, electrical compliance, fall protection, confined space, and then we have professional development tracks. So if you just want to learn how to become a better listener or learn how to be a better trainer or a better leader in some avenue, we got sessions on that as well. So it's it's been a wild adventure. Um, I didn't think we'd be doing it every year, but every year I ask the group, you want to do another one? And they won't let me quit. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. All right. Um... You've done, as you said, 18 years in safety, which is, you know, congratulations. I think you would have been one of the, you would have been at the cutting edge when we first started moving into safety-related fields, I'd, I'd suggest. Um, did some time for the National Safety Council. Uh, of all the jobs in safety you've had so far, which has been your favourite and why? I am, I definitely think the consulting parts. Mm -hmm. Being able to be a resource for people, I really enjoy that. I love being forward-facing, seeing what's out there within the different industries, 
finding out what everybody's, you know, pains are and what they need as a solution and being able to go find that, you know, finding out the, the fall protection issue or the confined space issue and, and getting that as a resource, doing the training. I really just have enjoyed that. Um, and I started noticing that when I was in transportation, because I was able to do more outside of the retail industry that, oh, I can go out and I can do these things and I can help people. And I just genuinely enjoy doing that. Good, good. Um, okay. Well, you mentioned psychosocial hazards, people not feeling like they're fitting in because they don't have the, the um, adequate or correct PPE. Um, just from an, uh, I, I know where we are in Australia in terms of psychosocial risk. What's what's it like in America? Is it is it significant, or is it still the majority of emphasis in safety on the physical hazards? Yeah, I think you nailed that one, Tom. It's still on the physical hazards. We are not where you guys are in Australia on this. It's not at the forefront. It's just now starting to trickle in, I think. But I was talking to a group the other day and in my presentation, I had a whole slide on psychosocial hazards. And I asked the room of all these leaders, I'm like, can somebody give me their definition of psychosocial hazard? And it was just crickets. And I was like, wow. And so we had a really good in-depth conversation about it because it was something I'm like, you guys have to start thinking about this because the workforce is changing now. And if we don't start thinking about the mental component of how somebody's day is going, we're not going to be able to retain the workforce that we need. And I tie that back into women's PPE because when you hand me a size large men's vest and say, well, that's all we get because we buy it in bulk and we get a really good discount. How does that make me feel at the end of the day? I don't feel like you value me as an employee and my skill set. And now I'm going to be wearing this godly large safety vest that doesn't fit me. And I'm going to think about that all day. Doesn't leave me going home wanting to come back to work the next day. Um, and I think we're, we're definitely behind here in America. That's my opinion. I'm sure somebody could argue otherwise. But I've seen it enough and I'm hearing it enough at conferences where it's like, it's definitely an issue here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th I think by the sounds of it, if you ever wanted to uh, keep yourself busy, I think there's great opportunities there to uh, help educate employers because let's be honest, the labour market since COVID has been, well, we're struggling to find workers anywhere. So you can't afford to actually lose any because you haven't provided, you know, a, a nice mentally healthy uh, work environment. Um, I can honestly say psychosocial hazards, and that's really only come along in the last couple of years in Australia. So don't hold your breath, but it will get there. It will get there, I'm sure. Um, but you guys get... are there doing the work now to get yourselves there. Oh, there's, there's still a lot to be done. Um, there's still a lot to be done. I mean, in construction over here, we've got young men between 18 and 25 who have an incredibly high rate of suicide, um, which no one's been able to explain, at least to me, satisfactory. So we've still got some major challenges. Um, might, might pay for you to actually contact Alana Ball. She's absolutely awesome. Women in Safety in Australia. I know she'd love to speak to you sometime. 
But oh, moving yeah. on, moving on. Yeah. That's probably something I should have said oh. offline, but... <laughs> How short is your labor over there right now? Because I know oh, here they're predicting 2 million employee shortage by 2030 just in manufacturing. I, 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 don't, I can't speak for all industries, but I, I can speak from what I've heard. And that's pretty much... In COVID, we lost a lot of our, our international labor that came in and would do some of the basic menial jobs sometimes the lesser paid jobs, and they're all gone. Um, basically, they still haven't come back. So a lot of times here, even in semi-skilled jobs, uh, if, you can, if you've got arms and legs and you can turn up to work, you've got a job at the moment. Um, right. a, a lot of the ones where you actually would wait to get into a profession or you do an apprentice and that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. They're so short, you just turn up and they'll hire you because you're there. Um, it's yeah, it's not a good situation. Um, I used to used to teach in a, a higher education facility, and I can tell you now, at one stage we were something like forty uh, percent understaffed in the last year. So, oh, wow, yeah, you you think about the stress on the people who are left behind to do the work. It's um, it's considerable. It is something that I do think about because it is such a shortage here. And you you mentioned the suicide rate. We got the same problem here. We just launched um, here in Iowa 988 as a way to try to, to get people some help. But, you know, you go back to that mental component, like we, we got to do something and it takes leadership on every level to get that accomplished, but it takes being able to understand the psychosocial hazards and how to have those conversations to prevent that stuff. Absolutely. All right. I'm just going to ask you a couple of little questions, general questions. Safety culture. What does it mean to Amy Rusa? Oh, safety culture. I, you know, so I, I kind of have like a little bit of a probably unfavorable opinion I feel like when people break down safety culture, it's just work culture. Yeah. To, you know, it's just, it, you can't, I'm not sure if we can really break it down into silos sometimes. And I say that because when I look at just work culture anyways, it's going to have a component of safety in it. But I guess, um, sorry, I'm going to go on a ramble on that because I've been thinking a lot about that lately. I guess safety culture for me is, you know, it, interdependence, you know, do, does everybody in the, the group feel like they can rely on everybody? 
that they can speak up, that they can stop work and say, this is wrong. Let's fix it. Let's move on as a group and get the work done. Um, do I think a lot of companies have that? Not from the stuff that I'm reading, not from the videos I see on TikTok with this bigger conversation coming up now about work culture and safety culture. I, I think we have a long ways to go, but that's kind of my definition and my feelings towards it. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things just uh, I want to follow up on. Uh, first, you mentioned earlier about the people who are doing the double job of HR and safety. Do you feel like eventually we're going to end up safety and HR trying to almost merge nat naturally because some of the functions that HR does now in the psychosocial world, safety probably should be involved in that as well and vice versa. Uh, I, I think a lot of the issues we have with personnel are also safety issues. They're not necessarily in one box or another box. It's actually, you know, I, I, I yeah. can see the merging. I, it, it's not something I've, I've often thought about and liked because I, I feel like you end up with a person who's not very good at HR and a person who's not very good at, at health and safety and, and they're it just because we're, we're saving one wage. But I can... I can I, I see them in the future working a bit more hand in glove together. I, you know, I'll give a good example. When I worked for the DOT, I worked in the HR department. Mm -hmm. So that was probably the best in terms of careers where I was constantly involved with HR on topics for the employee and the employee safety. Like we worked well together. And then I went to other jobs where it's like, Oh, I might meet with HR once a week. And I just thought that was kind of weird. So I'm like, man, DOT just had it nailed down having safety in the HR department. And it was really beneficial to getting a lot accomplished. But also when there was an employee event, just being able to work with HR to resolve it, you know, especially if we were looking at policies and how to change policies, you just have it all there. So yeah, I think you know, companies want to move that direction. It's definitely worth exploring, but I think you have to have that balance of mm. the roles. I don't think an HR person should be doing a safety job no. um, and doing dual roles because one, yeah, you're kind of saving on the, the salary, but you're putting a lot on one person to be the HR person mm -hmm. and then the safety person. And for me, and I don't know how it is for other people, sometimes as a safety person, you're kind of a punching bag. Yep. And I tell some younger folks that just when they're coming in, like, you have to be prepared because you're dealing with leadership that may not always like what you have to say when you're quoting OSHA and regulations and policies and saying, no, we can't, you know, go into a confined space without X, Y, Z first. And then you're also the punching back for the employees that sometimes look at safety and are like, oh, there's the safety cop, which I hate and I would never want to experience again. But, you know, people default to those assumptions. And then you're talking to them and they don't want to come to you sometimes because they're like, oh, I got to go talk to safety. I don't want to do that. So you're kind of a punching bag to things that they don't know and the education that you have to provide them. And they're kind of resisting um, or they get mad at you because you're telling them they have to wear fall protection. True story. Mm -hmm. um, and you're having to convince them of 
why they need to wear all these things and why they need to do stuff just a certain way to be safe. So, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing, you've, you've been in safety for around 18 years. I'm guessing you've done quite a few investigations of incidents or accidents, whatever you'd like to call them. Stop work, cease work. Uh, hmm. Great yeah. idea. Every worker should know and should be able to stop or cease dangerous work, etc. How often, when safety professionals do an investigation, do they look at look at the end result of an incident? You know, the fight finality, and go. This is where the worker should have stopped work, should have ceased work, without realizing the worker at that stage doesn't have the end result in front of them. So perhaps they never had the thought at that stage to cease work or stop work. Yes. But then you also then have their supervisor on the back end during the investigation go, well, it's in the policy. He knew it should have oh. stopped. But no. 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 Yeah. I. It's frustrating because I've done investigations where, you know, we, we have these conversations and it's, so easy to you know have that that those binoculars on and see that end result and be like well you know we have a policy you know he's been trained not to do that he still did it anyways okay but let's go back and review when this all took place you're short staffed on that project by three people and now he's doing the work of four people his brain's in a different category. He's feeling rushed, he's feeling stressed, and his leadership is putting pressure on him to still produce. So yeah, the, the dominoes stacked up in a different way. Yeah. And we're not addressing sometimes those components. Instead, I still see employers that just put it back on the employee rather than take ownership that it's maybe a policy issue mm -hmm. or it's a staffing issue or it's a right. training issue. Yeah, But it's never... When I look at accident investigations, my first thought is, how did this result happen? What other factors contributed to the employee having this event instead of how did the employee screw up? Yeah. But we're yeah, still I, in this culture of putting the blame on the employee. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things that when we write a policy and procedure, we, we envisage per, perfect conditions, yet the workers inevitably on a day-to-day -day basis are not working in the perfect conditions. And when people look at those policy procedures and say, well, why did they deviate? Well, because they wanted to get the job done. And under these circumstances, this was the way that they thought was the best way to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it annoys me. All right. It, yeah. It's, no, I think it annoys every safety person out there. Because yeah. we know in, the, in our brains, we're seeing it from that viewpoint. We all have discussions when we go to conferences, but we can't get the buy-in sometimes from the leadership team to understand that, you know? Yeah, yeah, I understand that. All right, I'm going to ask you one more thing. Root cause. There's a whole science about root cause analysis. Oh, my God, I wish we could just ban that word, or those two words, root cause, because... Yeah. It seems oh, to be so ingrained in the safety system yet. And, and it goes on to management who have this much knowledge. And <laughs> all we do is get, what's the one reason this happened? And it's just like, despite the term is root cause, 
there is it's not going to ever be one singular cause Thank to an you. incident or accident and i just it's going to be yeah. a contributing factor oh yeah I, i've never done an incident investigation where i felt that there was one root cause now i've been pressured to put one root cause but there's Again, I go with the domino analogy because I always feel like that's a perfect way to kind of see it all line up, right? Because it's going to yeah. be work culture, the personality, the psychosocial hazards, all that. Like, it, now, can we just get rid of that? Can we start a campaign to get rid of? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Let's ban that. Ban that phrase. I'll and, start and, on the U.S. side. You start on the Australian side. Oh, I'm, <laughs> you know, you know the the strange thing I struggle with at the most is we still teach it. We still have to teach it in our courses. I think uh, I got like four books over on my bookshelf on root cause. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. I have to cover this because it's in the course, but I don't really want to teach it because I don't believe it sort of thing. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that. Just give them the answer key and move on to contributing factors. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, what's the future looking like for safety for women in high-risk industries in America? Is it, is it looking good? Is it promising or, or are you just depressed about it? I'm actually really excited about it. I think, so this is, I'll get on my soapbox, you know, they go by percentage. We have like 11% in construction, 7% in trucking, 5% in welding for women entering those trades. But when you look at the number as a whole, we're almost around 9 million women in the trades here in the U.S., and it is growing at a really good rate, especially in the construction industry, because women are quitting the retail sector. They're quitting those jobs where they're making, I, I don't know the last wage gap. I think it was like, you make 76 cents to every dollar 86. And then, you know, if you're a minority, it's going to be less than that going into the trades because dollar to dollar, you're matching that. And now you can provide for your family. And if you're a single parent, that's profound, right? You, you get to travel. I have women on forums that talk about they're just entering it and how much they love to be in the trades because they actually have more flexibility sometimes mm -hmm. to be a better parent, but they're also getting the overtime, they're getting better pay, they're getting better benefits, and they feel like they're actually contributing to something. Yep. I had one lady posted a picture of, um, I think it was a bridge that she had helped build. And she's like, I can drive past that and tell my kids I made that. Yeah, like, how exciting is that? I can't even say that. <laughs> you know, I'm just the safety professional. I can drive past that bridge and be like, uh, I hope keep everybody alive. There was that's no right. major oh, that, accident. Like, that's a bonus. It is a bonus. Um, and I do like that part, but I think we're going to see that increase continue. Mm -hmm. um, I hope it continues globally. And I hope that as it continues, we build these conversations on the needs of what women need in the workplace, but also, you know, the, the needs of like the psychosocial hazards for both men and women in the workplace, because as long as we can keep the conversation going and we can build resources for this, we can actually help these areas thrive. And I really just want to see that. Uh, if it's one thing that might get out of this uh, uh, labor shortage, massive labor shortage, it might be the opportunity for women to move into those non-traditional roles. Um, I certainly know some of the major trucking companies over here for the first time ever 
are actually offering what's called family uh, family friendly rosters and flexible hours um, in order because they realise there's over fifty percent of the population who are female, and we can't get staff. So perhaps we should I don't know change our ways and make it a bit more attractive for them. Um, I think there's an opportunity Shocking. there. That is, yeah, well, I know. It's, a, it's, a, it's my, backward thinking, but we're getting there slowly. You know, my dad was actually a trucker for 40 years. So he, he loved the profession. I know the profession well. He got to uh, see the country. He would bring a bicycle with him. And wherever he landed for the night, he'd take his bicycle out and go bike 10 to 20 miles and just see that city or those, you know, national monuments. You know, it, it provides a really good lifestyle for the people that want it yeah absolutely all right amy um thank you very much for your time today we might oh, have to leave you. it there and thanks for getting up and spending a little bit of your morning with us really do appreciate it um i hope to be hearing and seeing from you soon but thanks once again for being on the show thank you tom thanks for listening to health and safety conversations with tom Bourne. until next time Stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week.